Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome a first-time guest, new Winnipeg Gold Eyes manager, Greg Taggart. Greg, thanks for joining us this week. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I uh, appreciate you having me. I, I got to tell you, Greg, when we start out here, it's, it's going to be a little odd next year not seeing you in that green uniform next year. So uh, tell us a little bit about <laughs> your, your, uh, your drive here to become the Gold Eyes manager now. Well, uh, gentlemen, that's going to be odd for, for me as well. Um, <laughs> you know, needless to say that, um, you know, anybody, regardless of profession, you spend 17 years in a place and, and you know, and, and especially in a profession like this where there can be, you know, some movement and, uh, from time to time to club to club, whether it's, you know, professional level, the college level, the MLB level. I mean, there's a lot, you know, that was a place that um, for years uh, I anticipated just finishing my career, whatever that may be in terms of age and duration and and uh, very fond and, and just love it. Uh, you know, I, I know you might hear from time to time the phrase that, uh, you know, the managers say whether you look at Doug Simonick's tenure in Fargo or obviously the person that uh, left such a legacy behind in Winnipeg, Rick Forney, uh, people who have spent, you know, George Samus in St. Paul, it becomes a second home to them. Well, Gary in, in northwest Indiana was actually my home. We, we, we relocated there back in um, – 2008, my wife and I stayed there for for over 10 years, and um, you know, before moving back to California for family, as uh, you know, for our parents, and and so it really was our home, and and uh, you know, some things were transpiring with the Railcats, and and again, some family reasons. When I left the Giant, I left for the Giants, and it had really everything to do with but baseball and and it wasn't um you know it wasn't about you know an opportunity to to do something you know certainly it was something to do different in my life and and and, and in the baseball world but the the reasons were were much outside of the baseball you know situation and um and so yeah you you said it best I, when i when i saw the schedule come out this was prior to any agreement with me joining the Gold Eyes. Um, I, I'm not so sure <laughs> I expected to see the Gold Eyes opening up in Gary, Indiana. Trust me, it, it was uh, so. But uh, but it will be um, it will be different, and and certainly uh, I don't. I'm certainly looking forward to going back to the Steelyard and all the fans and the, the relationships. But uh, but one, I'd like to get that uh, those games out of the way quick. I imagine it's going to be a little difficult to remember to go into the visiting clubhouse. <laughs> yes, you know, and, and maybe uh, as we all can probably identify with, you know, the, the pandemic year, you know, especially for those of us in the association and even the ones in the association that did play, I, I think, Rob, you would know better than I, uh, you know, Kevin, you know, how that year went firsthand, you know, after speaking to managers and things like that. But, 
you know, that pandemic year really changed everything. And I go back for 21 and we were still, you know, under the cloud of it and, and the way 21 was structured and, and getting the players in and, and just the, that uneasiness that was still left over from from 2020 never quite got settled in 2021. So maybe it's been, it's almost like I've been away a little longer than I have. That's just a personal feeling, and, and but I'm sure it'll all, you know, come flooding back quickly. Um, it's it's funny. Uh, some of the people I'm close to in the front office and 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 um, have reminded me that I, I still have a number of things that are stored at the ballpark, of course, because every intention was I was going back in 2022 before the decision was made. Uh, just about. Um, almost a year ago to, to now, I think right at the end of January is when I took the job with the Giants. So, you know, we had already, um, you know, when you, you were at a place that long, there's a lot of personal belongings that are still, are still in Gary. Well, I think they're still there. Cause when I was there last year, I didn't see any like Greg Taggart memorabilia sale going on or anything. So I don't think. <laughs> well, now, Unless it was their garage sale, some of it may have been things as simple as a sofa and uh, some personal belongings from the house that uh, that I just stored there. When my wife said she didn't want to, she didn't want to toss them, but I didn't want to move with them, so they they ended up at the bowels of the stadium. So um, I've been reminded, hey, do we want do I want this stuff when I come in? So they'll have to see what's all there, but uh, yeah. Well, it's pretty common. Whatever you don't want to take back with you, just put a, a free sign on it in front of the ballpark, and it'll be gone in a hurry. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, Greg, it's interesting to me to hear that baseball was not the primary reason why you went out to the Giants organization. Because, you know, when we heard that you were hired there, I mean, it just seemed like such a natural fit. You're, you're such a great teacher of the game. It seemed like, wow, this guy's going to be down working with minor league guys to teach them the sport. I, I, I thought that just seemed like a natural fit. What were your experiences like with the Giants? No, you're exactly right. That, that was, and, and I think from, um, you know, the people I know with the Giants organization, which are several, and including, you know, somebody I'm very close with in the family, Kyle Haynes, the director of player development, they were and this was a job that was discussed with me prior and and really um i think those of us like steve montgomery and george and doug and rick joe calfer petra you, you know my, my you know those of us that have been on the independent side for a long time you know will i think universally say the attraction on the independent baseball side is like none other in the industry and um you know, to to give that up, you know, so that's when I mean it didn't really have anything to do with the baseball side. I, I think the attraction was more from Kyle's side knowing me like he does, having played for me. His brother Andy Haynes is a hitting coach in the major leagues, having coached for me. A number of my former coaches and players are in the Giants organization as coaches. And, you know, the Giants, just like a lot of clubs, you know, you hear the phrase, I think it gets overused too much, old school, new school. You know, the Giants trying to blend old school with new school. And, and Kyle asked me about a role that 
he was trying to fill in Arizona. I happen to have family. My son lives out there with his fiance, and they're going to be married and starting a family. It was a little closer um, to California to to see, you know, family there that, you know, especially my mom was have health issues over the years, so I could make quick trips there. So that's what I meant, you know. Yes, I love the idea of being on the field, you know, and sometimes, you know, um, as much as, uh, you know, it might be perceived that, um, you know, I enjoy taking infield outfield more than the games, that absolutely is not true. <laughs> and and the biggest thing uh, that you would miss from the baseball side is competing every night and the emphasis on winning. And the fact is the club on the field really reflects in, in many cases, the manager and, and, and Rob and Kevin, I'm sure you've seen a change over the years, even the independent side of things. And you go to the four partner leagues, the dynamics even change there where, you know, front office personnel are hired to help get players. You know, there's involvement from the front office in, in those aspects. So even that's changed. So I, I don't know if, um, you know, Obviously, age plays a part of that, and and I certainly hope um, that I'm not affected by, you know, any perception that oh, you know, you're getting older, that maybe you lost any touch with with players of the game. But but the one thing that I, I would only entertain is uh, a similar situation that I had for 25 years, and that is where, you know, ultimately the manager is the player personnel person and developing those relationships that, that, um, you know, just, uh, you can't replace. And then that's really what me coming back had more to do with than anything is those personal relationships. Um, it wasn't being the fact that, Oh, the lineups given to you, those were non-factors in the, you know, quote unquote, the control of the game. It really had to do with the personal relationships that you're able to establish, you know, especially in a place like Winnipeg, Gary, Fargo, places like that. You talked about this a little bit at the press conference. Um, your first job, you said, where you didn't have to start a team from scratch. <laughs> so tell me a little <laughs> bit about how that feels for you. Well, I, now, and I probably – um, and I certainly, I have many former players who have uh, reached out, many who have wanted to go back in time, wanted to come out of retirement because they, they love Winnipeg so much. Now, as I told Sam, um, <laughs> I'm not so sure I can bring Steve Hockey out of retirement age 43 or 44 to, to come back. But So I have a lot of players that, you know, probably understood. I've never been with an expansion team, so I probably – I don't want to make a misleading statement, but meaning that in 17 years in Gary, especially in 2005 when you take over a club that was going to change uh, drastically the roster from one year to the next in the Northern League at that time, and very similar to Evansville and Dubois County, the other clubs that I um, managed my first year in, the clubs were in a huge transition. And... I was able to almost treat it like an expansion team, if you know what I mean. And and whereas um, you're talking about a very the gold eyes at the I mean the Railcats at the time 
only been in existence for a few years. You know, a few of those Frontier League teams, because of the 90s, only been in existence a few years. The dynamics of the rules were changing. You know, the player classifications were changing. So, you know, that's really what I meant in terms of an established, not only franchise, uh, a club that was very good on the field. Uh, many players that, you know, are a part of the Winnipeg fabric. And so and I'm excited to, you know, do it that way as well. And, and you know, and certainly um, I think it uh, obviously Rick's career stands for itself, what he's accomplished in Winnipeg, but uh, the imprint he's made will continue to be there. So I feel a, a huge responsibility to, to continue that in the best way I know how, but also at the same time, you know, I, I, just like anything else that, um, you know, I'm sure that things will be different for the players and the organization, just as they'll be different for me from when I get there and they'll say, oh, you know, Taggart, you know, oh, he does it that way or whatever, you know. So I think there will be some subtle differences and maybe some differences on the surface, but the emphasis on, winning games and having the right group of people, uh, that doesn't change. And, and it's one of the things that, um, and I think uh, most people probably have gotten to know over the years or knew prior that Rick and I are dear friends and, and you know, very much, uh, you know, and, and the same with Doug Seminick and Joe Cuff, you know, regardless of what you see on the field in terms of, oh, does he bun a guy in the second inning or – does he, you know, hit and run, or does he do some things on the field that look a little different than what the other club does? Those are just little subtle differences and minute details. At the end of the day, I think the one thing that we all share is we are highly competitive, and at the end of the day, we want to win games, win it for the, the ownership, the front office, the fan base, and put the best team that represents that community on the field every night. You know, I, I have a feeling you're going to give me a very modest answer to this. But, uh, you know, when when you're named as the manager, you know, I mean, this is a job I know lots of people wanted. Sam Cates talked about this during the press conference as well. There were, there were all kinds of people reaching out for the job. And I, I thought, man, Hal Lanier, Doug Simonek, uh, Rick Forney, Greg Taggart, what, what, a, what a right fit. I mean, you know, a proven winner, a guy who's got a 1,000 victories. I mean, do you feel like you're just a natural fit for this job? I don't know if I feel like a natural because as Sam now Sam did not share with me just like you know some of the but I can I can speculate hard and and there's a lot of quality people out there within the industry on the independent side the affiliated side of things which you know it's it's funny right you you see and and I do think there's a trend that I see from time to time. When you talk about who might go where, I just saw, look at who was just named in Sussex County, Chris Widger. I mean, you're, you're, so you'll see, and I wonder if the dynamic is from somebody who's been on the affiliated side quite some time, will see these jobs as very attractive and no more attractive than the Gold Ice job. So if it hadn't been Greg Taggart, I think, I'm sure Stan would have ended up with somebody, you know, 
a very high quality and, and capable of doing the job well. Now, from what we gathered, I did tell Sam that I believed I was the best fit for this club for a lot of reasons. And much had more to do with I understand the history in Winnipeg. I understand the community as best I can as a visiting you know, manager, but having been there so many times and I've embraced you know, every bit of what the gold eyes are in terms of what they represent to our industry. And, but that, that's the same as, you know, I understand what Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks, you know, represent. And the Sioux Falls Canaries and the Sioux City Explorers and the Evansville Otters. And, and you go down the list of the clubs that have meant so much to, you know, what I've been doing for a career. Um, I really appreciate that. And, and, I, and I believe that's an area where, you know, I felt like I was a, I was a good fit for this. You know, what I think is funny, Greg, is when uh, a, a manager comes from a rival, you know, a, a team in the league, to become that manager, there's always kind of like, well, hey, we hated that guy for a bunch of years. And, you know, <laughs> he was on that other uniform. But, you know, nobody hates Greg Tagger. You are that guy who is just a, a very gentlemanly guy, very competitive, but, you know, a very likable guy, too. So I, I, I would gather you, you see yourself fitting in well here in Winnipeg. Well, you know, I've always been um... – treated extremely well by the gold eye fans and and you know and, and i don't want to uh, make light but i will promise you that when we were in town i would be hard pressed to think that there were more gold eye fans wearing other teams apparel as much as they were railcats apparel <laughs> now you know one had to do with probably our color scheme and some of those things the railcats very popular uh in terms of the retail side of things but I've always been treated extremely well. You know, my receptions there have always been great. Now, Rob, uh, after that first couple of weeks, I hope they like me just as much. And, you know, some of those things, you know, can change uh, drastically because, you know, especially a fan base that has high expectations, you know, I'm going to do my best to make sure they enjoy the gold eyes playing baseball, you know, when they come out to the ballpark. You mentioned uh, people up in Winnipeg wearing real cat merchandise. Um, I know you had a big hand in the design of a lot of the South Shore real cat jerseys. Are you going to have a little influence in Winnipeg and maybe tinker with uh, Gold Eyes jerseys no, a bit? Not, no, not at all. Not at all. That, that was, uh, that was um, really by, you know, happenstance over the years and, in Gary with um, in the early years with a change of ownership and a couple of changes at general manager. Uh, you know, when um, there was a time before, you know, as Pat was taking over the club, Pat Salvi, and, and some of the changes that were made in the organization um, over a few years, you know, the one thing I, I took a lot of pride in, I was certainly a constant there, and having lived there, um, and really year-round um, at the ballpark and things. So a whole different, uh, a whole different landscape. And, and by the way, the Gold Eyes new logo was tremendous last year, I have to say. Um, you know, if, uh, I, I, I would believe that most people would share that opinion. Uh, 
you know, and um, so they, uh, Andrew Collier, you know, who's, uh, you talk about being a constant and representing an organization in a manner that is uh, first class, um, you know, knowing the people, and, and I will say at the, you know, the bottom line, knowing the people, knowing Sam, Andrew, uh, everybody from the clubhouse people, the radio people, you know, some of the front office, you know, was instrumental in me making this decision. Greg, let's jump ahead to this season. You talked about this a little bit in the press conference as well. Max Murphy coming, going to be coming back from a, a pretty serious break in his leg. What are your expectations for his recovery? And, and is he is he really on board for – I mean, is he going to be ready for Winnipeg for 2023? Yeah, you know, just had a brief conversation with Max, and we followed up just uh, via text. Uh, he he feels good at where he's at right now, and, and certainly as you get into, I, I think the – you know, one of the things that is a byproduct of the season of the American Association that will – be a positive is not starting till later. If if Max had to be at spring training here in a month or two weeks, where I mean we're almost to February now. My goodness, uh, if he had to be at spring training, you know I couldn't speak for him. But any additional time coming off that injury um, is certainly going to be beneficial to him. And coming off the year he had, and really it's a a multiple of years going back to when he joined the league from St. Paul or in St. Paul. And I've always been impressed with him as an all around player. And then last year, the power numbers just took off. And, and so to have a player like Max Murphy on the ball club and, you know, to somewhat continue to build around, you know, and, and yeah, I don't want to put that kind of pressure on, on a player, but, and the players, as, as we've seen over the last couple of years, and again, I'll refer to 2020, maybe a little different for Winnipeg because they did play in 2020, but the challenges that the Gold Eyes have had from having to play on the road virtually for two seasons is what it amounts to. We actually, in 21, played them in Jackson, and then it, towards the end of the year in August, those last two weeks, we played them in Winnipeg, and some challenges that they had. So there's not a lot of players that really, if you go back to the years of 1918, you know, when um, things were, I guess, more normal that uh, that are familiar with me or that I'm familiar with them on a first-hand basis, but Max certainly being one of them. Coming into the season, Winnipeg makes the playoffs for the first time in a few years. Um, but had clearly not lived up to Rick Forney's standards that we've seen in, in previous years. What becomes your priority with this club in terms of kind of putting your footprint on them and also getting the winning combination you're looking for? You know, it's uh, and I and I think uh, when we talk about the expectations, when you set the bar so high, and and you know, I'll speak from a personal experience here that that nobody's more disappointed than the person who puts the ball club together. And, and I share that when you, um, you know, what, what the gold eyes accomplished with the back-to-back title three, and I think over a, a six-year span, five-year span, it, it becomes not a burden because I, I love those expectations, but it becomes a situation where 
you know, the fan base, the, the front office, that becomes that ultimate success. I love that kind of situation, and that's what's in Winnipeg. But I think for everybody now, the, and this is one thing, right, that hasn't, it's always been ultra competitive going back. I mean, you go back to 2005, and when I joined the Railcats in the Northern League at the time, and those 12 clubs, um, I, I will tell you, coming from the Frontier League, and as much as I love the Frontier League, and I have a soft spot in my heart for it, nine years I spent there, obviously the relationship between the, the Boomers and the Railcats, so I was really an extension of the Frontier League for 20-plus years that um, when I go to the Northern League for the first time, it, it was akin at that time to going from single A to the big leagues in terms of the competition, in terms of the emphasis that you saw every night. So that's always been there, and you see it now with Anthony Barone's clubs in Milwaukee. You see it, you know, obviously with what Steve's accomplished in Sioux City over his tenure there. Um, if anything, that every night, it used to be sometimes you would say, oh, it's tough. Kansas City is a tough place to play. Well, Winnipeg's a tough place to play. Now, obviously not in the league last year, but if anybody shows me a place that's not tough to play, I would be surprised. You know, uh, Kevin and I are, are old school guys here, uh, Craig. <laughs> so uh, we're kind of curious. We've always loved the four-man rotation that you had there in Gary. Are we going to see yeah. that in Winnipeg this year? You know, it's um, – I, I, would, I would, to be perfectly honest, it has crossed my mind. Um, we do we do have a time now when I'm a year removed. I'm not 10 years removed, but I'm a year removed. And, and certainly in 21, and, and again in 21, I, I, I still have a strong sense of what we were doing in 21 was the right thing for the Railcats and the future of the Railcats and how we wanted to go about things. And, and we started that season with four-man rotation, but three of the starters were signed by organizations. And so for the first time, we were faced with a question. And our pitching coach at the time, Tommy Thornton, who had pitched in that situation, who had been a pitching coach for us under that umbrella, um, we decided it's too much to ask. And so that was the first time I had deviated from it in, in that span, and we uh, we had utilized relievers in the starting rotation, and I think everybody, it's been well documented how tough it was in 21 to find players. And, and, and I believe just talking to some of our fellow managers, that's really continued. It's been a challenge the last couple of years. There's a lot of players out there, but to find the player that is the right fit for an American Association club, that profile – has become difficult and and is challenging. Not maybe difficult is not the right word. So all that being said, around I have not made a decision on that. Um, I do believe in it strongly, and for every person out there who is new school or has a way of thinking right now that doesn't believe it would work. Um, we had 15 years of evidence that showed just the contrary, that not only worked well, it worked with 
undoubtedly the finest pitcher that independent baseball has ever seen in Willie Glenn. There's still nobody that compares. I think if you talked with any manager that managed against Willie, that they would share that, any historian of the league. And, um, you know, we were able to accomplish a lot in Gary with with that. And um, But, you know, in this day and age, the roster's a little bigger. You know, you don't have to, some of the hurdles that maybe we had when we had a 22-man roster. So we have some flexibility, at, but at the end of the day, the pitchers that are on the club have to be comfortable with it. And that's where I think the challenge, just because it's so different for players today. And, Rob and Kevin, what I, what I tell players all the time is, you know, what's normal to me or what's different to a lot of these players is really normal to me. And I think if you mention a four-man rotation to many of today's players, um, they might think you're talking a foreign language. <laughs> How do you, you sell know, them on that, especially if a guy comes from an organization where we know what it's like nowadays where the norm seems to be they won't let them pitch through the batting order more than twice or they have a strict pitch right. limit. How do you sell them on, hey, you got a chance to be out here every four days and get your innings and pitches in? Yeah, and you know, and, and you just touched upon a great point. Not only not going through the lineup, many of the pitch counts are at the 80 mark now in the minor leagues um, or, or 90 at the tops. It's, you know, in the major leagues even, you're seeing um, starting pitchers limited to 100 pitches even if they're allowed to go that third time through the order. So all I have to go on is how we used to talk to guys and, and maybe – Maybe this is a difference between players, say, 5, 7, 10, 15 years ago, is that there weren't those limits that you see now. So a pitcher that, you know, although it may have not been pitching every fourth day at the AAA level or the AA level, um, he was pitching a lot and without some of the limitations. But the, it was a easy recruiting pitch years ago because you were convincing the pitcher he was going to be able to do something different and unique that nobody else was doing, which could help his career. So it had to be a pitcher that looked at it that way. Can What can I do that makes myself stand out from anybody else? And that was really a way that we were able to, you know, combat a little bit of the, you know, just unknown and to be honest with you, I think for a long time, we, you know, there was not much of an obstacle to talk to a pitcher to come to Gary. And, and that goes along with the success that we had not only on the field, the success of pitchers signing with organizations, the success with the health. You know, we were very well known, and, and we take a lot of pride in the fact that even in that four-man rotation, um, there was not a healthier staff, you know, in, in the industry, you know, and, and I, I will, uh, you know, tell that to any pitcher that, you know, we talk to, and but um, but we haven't gone down that road yet, and so any gold eyes pitchers listening right now, I don't want them to be nervous. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you see the the 
move to six and seven man rotations. And especially now with the minor leagues, the way they're going with these six games in a row before you travel on city, you know, six right. different guys are getting started. What, what, what are your thoughts on ideas like that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I actually, you know, as much as I, I love the idea of the four man rotation, the implementation of it and what it can do for the success of the ball club, the six-man rotation and what you just touched upon, the way the schedule is throughout the minor leagues, I believe the Atlantic League adheres to that schedule. I know the Frontier League does as well, I believe, if I'm correct, the, the every Monday off. Uh, the Pioneer League may adhere to that schedule as well. So I wouldn't – I don't know if the American Association – I'm actually not a fan of that. Um, I think they're – you take away some of the competitiveness and – what makes professional baseball the experience it is. Um, I'm one of those ones that used to never complain if we had to play 15 or 17, 18 straight. I think that's all part of the experience. It challenges the player. It, um, it makes it different again. But, uh, but in the, that regard, it's a, I think it's perfect for the mind. You know, a guy knows he's starting every Tuesday. He knows he's starting every Wednesday. And it's something that Jamie Bennett and I, the, with the Boomers, and uh, and the success he's had in Schaumburg has been tremendous. We've talked about that before, is doing it where you just have, almost like they do in Japan, you have a designated starting pitcher like you would in college baseball, your Friday night starter, your Saturday night starter. And um, I don't know if any of the Frontier League teams have toyed with that idea, but, but I, I can see it works extremely well in that regard probably better than the five man. Interesting. <laughs> now I'm I'm gonna ask you the incredibly astute Kevin Lucal question that he comes up with in in these situations. Being in the Giants organization last year, now that you're in, in Winnipeg, are there guys that you were watching last year that you're thinking to yourself, man, if this guy does not stay with the Giants, he would be such a perfect fit here. Of course yes, I, I think that's a a very good question, and uh, yes, uh, you know certainly, and and um, obviously uh, you build some relationships with the players there. And I, I had a chance, especially during spring training, spending time with a, a lot of players from the AAA level on down, including several guys who ended up playing in the big league. So you get a chance to know many of the upper level players that um, you know that I built relationships with, and and. Uh, my only hope is that they reach the big leagues with the San Francisco Giants or somebody else, but guys that uh, you definitely keep an eye on just like you would anybody, anybody else. Well, Greg, before we let you go out of here, I, I did want to ask you, you were mentioning you had gone out to California there for your family. Mom and everybody doing well? Yes, um, yes, my mom's doing uh, much better these days. We've got her a new place to live, and and uh, uh, hopefully I'll see her. Um, I'll be actually out in spring training, um, you know, at, the, at a Diamondbacks workout, getting back to seeing some of my old friends. That'll be really uh, something that will remind me of the past as uh, the Diamondbacks always host their, their annual tryout in February. So I'll be out in Phoenix, Scottsdale for that, and get a chance to run home. You know, I have to get used to the fact that when I'm in Winnipeg, it's not quite – it's easy to make it in California in a couple of days as it was Arizona. So, 
<laughs> so, so, Greg, since you're a new guest to our show, uh, we always allow our guests to give us a final thought for tonight. So whatever you'd like to discuss, the floor is yours. Well, no, I'm sure uh, I'm sure a good friend Anthony Barone is listening. So, I, you know, I feel bad for the Bills just like he does over over the years. Ironically, with Anthony in Buffalo, one of our good friends from the past, Fran Reardon, who, well, you know, obviously a Hall of Famer in the Frontier League and now the AAA manager with the A's, also a Buffalo resident. So, um, I've got a soft spot in my heart for the Bills. So. Uh, Hopefully, Anthony will be able to recover from that. But, you know, I, I don't have quite the attraction to, to one team other than just hoping for some uh, some good games from time to time. Fantastic. Greg Tiger, thanks for joining us this week. All right. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for doing this. All right. Take care. <clears throat> All right, well, Kevin, man, great having Greg Taggart on for the first time on the show, and uh, good things looking like they're coming ahead for Winnipeg this year. You know, it's going to be a very interesting story to watch as the year unfolds. Uh, Tiger's first year in Winnipeg, and we'll see. He's definitely got some. He got left some pretty good parts up there, and we'll see what he what he does with it. Well, you know, we talked a little bit about Max Murphy and and his return, and and obviously that's going to be a, a big key. But you know, no, nobody can look past the season that guys like David Washington had, and. Um, you know, some of his other – Raul Navarro was fantastic. He had a season that could be considered an MVP type of year. As you said, there's a lot of good pieces left to this club, and and this should definitely be quite an offense. It's, and it's, yeah, it should be. And, you know, you mentioned his relationship with Rick Forney. I think that's another plus, too, where going into training camp where you can help him get a read on the guy who's coming into camp. So – I know Tagger would rather formulate his own opinion, but I think it's always good to have some idea of what's going on beforehand before training camp starts. You know, that's a very astute observation that I hadn't really thought about. It's not like Rick Forney flat out of town, you know, trying to leave Winnipeg in the rearview mirror. As, as a guy who still loves Winnipeg and is, you know, he, he's a great, you know, if he had a guy in the Atlantic League that just did not fit his roster or something, he'd be like, hey, look, you might want to look at Winnipeg out there to go to. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, th this club should should be pretty good next year. I, I think it really, from what we've seen the last few years, Kevin, it just depends all with pitching with this team. And let's remember that Rick Forty's going to be managing a ball club. And who knows, you could see some deals going down between his club and the Gold Eye is that because we know that uh, forget the name of the pitcher, but remember the big five for one deal that Winnipeg and Gary made, I believe in like two thousand Daniel Miner or seventeen. Daniel yes, Miner was he went to, uh, Yeah, Miner went to Gary and expelled. But I forget the name of the pitcher that went to Winnipeg. That was kind of the centerpiece of the trade. I'm going to look that up because that, that that was a huge deal at the well, time. I, I know that. I, yes, I know you and your computer right there. You'll have it in a cinch, but <laughs> I'm hoping. I'm hoping here tomorrow. But yeah, you know those kind of deals can be enormous. I mean, they, they can totally turn the tide for uh, a club looking to make some differences out there. And and I, and I think we've seen that in um, some of these. Um, other managers who got along very well. You know, we saw it, is it 2018 was the 
Kansas City St. Paul deal that um, they sent uh, St. Paul sent uh, a former De La Salle graduate too. I, I'm I'm embarrassed I can't remember his name, but he wound up hitting like 500 over the last month of the season for the the, the then T Bones uh, helping the team win the, uh, the championship. Walker came up there to or Walters, excuse me, came up there to St. Paul and he was huge. Um, you know, so those kind of deals between friends, so to speak, there uh, can really wind up helping a club out there. So it'll be exciting to see if that kind of thing goes on. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be fun. So awesome. Um, as you look at this club, Kevin, are you, you know, Greg obviously has a, a lot of experience, a lot of victories in, in, in that time out there. Charlie Rosario, by the way, was the name of the guy. So um, it beat me to it. I was just trying to look that up myself. 2017. Uh, Research on the run. Is this, this is a very, very, very difficult division. And I, nothing against the East. The East has very outstanding managers, great players out there, not taking anything away from that. But, but I think we, we just see six incredible managers, clubs that have a history of winning. Um, what, what are you thinking about Winnipeg? I think for Winnipeg, it was seemed like the same story it was um, the year before and the year before. It was just quite not enough um, pitching the offensive serve there. They just needed a, probably another good starter or two. And, you know, maybe Taggart finds a couple guys that would embrace the four-man rotation thing and say, hey, this would be a good way for me to get some innings and get noticed that maybe he'll – Find some guys that will embrace it and excel in it. So, yeah, and the bottom line is I think the key is going to be pitching with this ball club is because his offense has shown that they can put up runs by the bushel load. Well, let's talk about transactions from this week, and there have been some very, very interesting ones, to say, to say the least, out there. So we'll first start in Cleburne as they re-signed right-handed pitcher Kevin Hilton. Got off to a terrible start last season for the Railroaders, Kevin. But, man, down the stretch, he was just lights out and looks like he'll be back to ace his staff next year. He was uh, definitely a really good veteran presence with that ball club. And, as you said, he was a big part of that. what made that team um, – go on the big run to get into the playoffs. So definitely a big acquisition for Cleburne. Travis Perry signed by the club. A, a, a bit of a surprise. Nick Gardewine will not, was had his uh, contract released. I, I know you say that there's lots of factors that relate into that. And, and so I will ride along with that right now, but you know, he was arguably the best closer in the American association and that's not easy to replace every year. No, it's not. But as we know, as you know, somebody always, seems to step forward, and I, had, and I assume that would happen again with uh, Cleburne. Lincoln signs right-hander Zach St. Pierre, uh, right-hander Zach Keenan, the release catcher Skyler Weber, who was their main uh, guy behind the plate last season. So Brett Jody looking in another direction for next year. Uh, Sioux Falls releases left-handed pitcher Cecilio Pimentel. is just not the same guy we saw four or five years ago, Kevin, because he was just phenomenal in this league and kind of, you know, been traveling between leagues and battling some injuries and visa problems and things, you know, uh, could be a number of reasons why Cecilio is moving on. Yeah. As many of which uh, we could only guess on. 
Sioux City signs right-handed pitcher Luis Pena, and I like this. Uh, Casey Gillespie's contract per, uh, signed off waivers from Kansas City. I like that move, Kevin. <laughs> Casey would be huge in that stadium. We'll see what the, what the goes on with that if um, Gillespie even reports. Uh, it might just be a thing where maybe, and I know I know Steve listens to this show, and he might I might catch some hell for this, but it could be a thing where the explorers claim Gillespie before um, anybody else could. But I, you know, his wife is working full time with the Kansas City Royals doing in stadium stuff now, and I just don't see them being apart all summer like that. So I don't know. I just think it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll see Gillespie wearing an explorers uniform, but. Like I said, I think that might just be a thing where he saw him on waivers and thought, okay, this will be a good way to get him away from a rival. Well, after the show comes out, go watch the Steve Montgomery Twitter feed for uh, his commentary. Uh, in Milwaukee, they claim Michael Krause off waivers from Winnipeg, and I, re- I reached out to Anthony Barone after this and uh, said, man, that looks like the new Brett Vertigan for you. I, you know, this is the kind of guy that could wind up doing a lot of things in Milwaukee. No doubt about it. It's, um, and we've seen some uh, good outfielders on that team, I believe, between Vertigan and Mikey Reynolds, and now you'll have Michael Krause patrolling center field at Franklin Field. They also re-signed left-handed pitcher Jack Mahoney, right-handers A.J. Jones, and Christian Young. Neither of those three guys had particularly great regular seasons, but, boy, they were fantastic in the postseason. Christian Young, Matt, we got to see him pitch live in the championship series, and he looked phenomenal. No doubt. I mean, I think believe he went five innings, but, I mean, he did, he did not give the Red Hawks a look in that outing, and he helped get the get – the, up into a deciding game five. Kansas City re-signs right-handed pitcher Alex Valdez. He became the closer to the team over like the last couple weeks of the season. Was very good for them. Did, didn't pitch as well in the playoffs. Young guy though, and, and I like this move by Joe. I, you know, he, he was a guy that really showed a live arm, and and I think that solidifies their bullpen if if he's you know like what we saw at the end of last season. And you know that's a key piece too, especially if he comes in and. He might be anointed the closer right away, and you know that's a spot that if you know going into spring training, who your closer is going to be. I believe you're a one step ahead of a lot of other clubs. Fargo resigns a number of guys: outfielder Evan Alexander, uh, right-handed pitcher Reed Berlingmeyer, infielder Nick Nelback, outfielder Alec Oland, and left-handed pitcher Brady Silver. All were instrumental pieces last year of a team that wanted going on to win the championship. So. Manager Chris Coast and um, player personnel, um, why is that name? It's Jeff Bittiger, uh are uh, making the moves already to get that Fargo team. And, yeah, you, you look at Fargo every year, Kevin, and you think, well, this team could really compete, especially over the last four or five years. And um, we're going to see some change in there. We're not really sure yet about guys like Kevin McGovern and some of those out there. But, you know, they're, they're making sure they're getting as much of the old band back together, it looks like. No doubt. And I think that's been a thing with Fargo too where it seems Fargo more so than a lot of other teams do generally bring back guys instead of completely retooling the roster so 
you know, the, the guys you mentioned all were played a critical role in that championship team. So good moves for Fargo. Not much to go, uh, going on around the other independent leagues. A couple things I did want to mention. The Tri-City Valley Cats uh, infielder Joe Campagna had his contract purchased by the Colorado Rockies, so congratulations to him out there. Um, Schomburg Boomers lose right-handed pitcher Tanner, Tanner Shears as his contract is purchased by the Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers always very uh, active within independent baseball and continuing that trend. And the last one was uh, the Sioux City Explorers trade Tra uh, trade in first baseman Gabe Snyder for left-handed pitcher Kevin Escorcia, I believe is the, is the way that's said. So they're not showing that on the American Association transactions for some reason, but uh, but there it is. So we'll find out that information regardless because that's what we do here. So uh, nothing going on in the Atlantic League. They're boring this week, so they get no 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 attention from us whatsoever. Kevin, uh, I'm I'm kind of curious. Um, on your thoughts on this, um, you mentioned to me that the league had reached out to you to talk about Hall of Fame choices that you see for the upcoming class. Uh, Commissioner Schaub told me today that uh, they, they're looking to do three every year, three new guys to the Hall of Fame every year, but this year might be a little different because it's the first where they're, they're not just doing one guy. Last year, Miles Wolf chosen, fantastic choice. So they might go a few more. If you had your choice for Hall of Fame, tell, tell me the Kevin Luco American Association Hall of Fame guys. Who are you going with? Well, here's the thing, though, with this. Um, you mentioned American Association Hall of Fame. And I had to ask the question myself, um, are we just talking 2005 on, or are we talking in the, the history of going back into the Northern League and a subsequent um, liquidation of the Northern League teams into the American Association in 2011? And I guess it's from the beginning. And, you know, I, I guess the, the old, old school guy in me kind of came out when um, I got confronted with this question. And uh, the third obvious pick would be Mike Vec because, let's face it, with, with, um, if he didn't have a franchise like he had in St. Paul when the league opened, um, who knows how well this whole thing would have um, gone. Vec, uh <laughs> I give him credit. He went into a market. You're only about, uh, I mean, you can see the Metrodome from Midway Stadium. The Twins have just come off another winning season, and he is going to have to try to convince people to go to a utilitarian ballpark about 12 miles away and watch guys that have been cast off from major league organizations. But Vec wasn't deterred, and... Yeah, I you know, like they say, the rest is history. So I would say Mike Vec for sure. Um, guy that um, you guys mentioned earlier in the show, Doug Simonek, and you can't um, you can't you can't downgrade what he did with that Fargo Moorhead Club, and also he won a championship in Winnipeg. I mean, the guy has won so many championships, won over a thousand games, and frankly, the guy the guy just lived and breathed independent baseball. He was a manager from 1993 all the way until, I believe, what was it, 2017 or 18, where he was let go. And over a 1,000 wins. So I'd say Doug Simnick, a guy that was uh, dominant in uh, the Northern League and pretty much 
No, the way until he stopped pitching, I believe, in 2002 was. So next um, right-hand man, Jeff Bittaker. Bittaker was a tremendous pitcher in this league. And he was a guy, he had major league experience. So, you know, it was someone that he provided name quality to the league right away. And, I mean, you can't question what he's done after his playing career, too, um, being an architect of um, so many good Fargo-Moorhead Redhawk teams. And uh, the, my other choice is Reggie Abercrombie, and I think that just kind of goes without saying what he did in Sioux Falls and his long or with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes and what he meant to that team on and off the field. That's definitely Hall of Fame worthy. That's four fantastic choices. And I, and I want to pat you on the back for uh, your diplomatic um, description of Midway Stadium. <laughs> I've heard it described a lot of ways, but utilitarian wasn't the, the one that popped out most. So that was impressive, Kevin. Liked it a lot. Awesome. Well, that's all that's going on around uh, independent baseball out there. So we get to the best part of the show, Kevin, the Kevin Loco final thought. You know what? I'm going to turn on you, bud. Oh. I will defer. I am going to defer my final thought to you. Are you giving me a category or something to work with, or I'm just rolling with it? Just roll with it. That's all I usually do. All right, well, let's give something up here, I guess. What's yeah, it, what does Rob want to talk about? Look, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we expect Brady inside of you. We don't expect that out of me. So uh, let's see what's going on. You know, here's what I got going on this, this week, Kevin. Uh, you know, everybody's hyped up about football and the playoffs going on, national championship a couple of weeks ago in college football. And, and uh, so, so I get, you know, that that's the center of the sports world out there. But um, I, I want to remind that people out there that there are some great, um, great stuff going out there in the sports world where American Association people are involved. You know, uh, Sam Brief down there broadcasting Australian baseball had a, had a shout out at the Australian Open today. I thought that was that was pretty cool. So he got a little tennis in while he's down there calling baseball. And uh, there are still some uh, winter leagues happening out there. I, um, I think that the Dominican League is just finishing off their playoffs. Australian League Baseball just getting underway in their playoffs in a couple of weeks. Uh, great action going on there, too. If you've got an AA Baseball TV, go check out some of those games because they, they've been pretty awesome so far. So... Uh, good stuff going out there. Mexican Winter League, um, I think, is just reaching their playoffs, if I remember that correctly, as well. So still great baseball going on out there. And, and uh, you got spring training coming up here, and as, as Greg said, in less than a month now. That seems totally crazy. That's going on. I was talking to Sean Aronson today from St. Paul Saints broadcaster, and he was saying uh, he is six weeks away from calling his first game. I mean, that, that's, that's just – I can't believe it's coming up that quick. And believe that. Um, so, our our uh, we're just things are just heating up for baseball is where we're at here. But there's still lots of good stuff going on out there, and and we're loving that. And um, now that it is uh, uh, coming to the the end of January, you know, spring training will start, and there'll be releases that'll be happening all the time, and and we're we're going to start to see rosters flying out there. And so, my final thought is. Baseball is getting exciting, and uh, keep going out there and enjoying the sport because 
great stuff is happening out there, Kevin. You know me. No, I, I love baseball as much as anyone. But I'm going to be honest. I have not watched any Australian League games, no Mexican League games, Puerto Rican Leagues, Dominican, whatever. And what I call it is the Roland Martin Syndrome. For those of you that go way back, you can remember Roland Martin was a famous fisherman. And his show would be on every week, all year long. He is fishing off the coast in Florida in 85-degree weather, not a cloud in the sky. Being up here in Minnesota, I can barely even look around the snowbank to see if a car is coming right now. I can't watch a game being played somewhere where it is just gorgeous outside, and meanwhile, I'm in the middle of winter hell. So I've not watched a game. It's called the Roller Martin Syndrome because when we were kids, my dad would watch that show every week, and I would be cooped up inside because there's a huge snow banks, and it's about 10 below zero. So it only made me mad. You know, Kevin, every time we've had somebody on the show who's pitching, you know, in winter baseball or playing in winter baseball or whatever, we always ask the question of, um, you know, don't you need a, a rest or, you know, uh, is it good to be pitching all year long or something like that? You're, you're proving that maybe it's not good to be watching all year. And so that we, we need a break as fans, I guess, as well. Well, that's where, that's where hockey comes in. So, you know, it just blends in just perfect. And great things going on in hockey, too. So go out there and enjoy that, too. Great great throughout the level. No doubt about it. I was just at um, a Minnesota Gopher hockey game on Friday night. I had a chance to talk to Tanner Hoops, a play-by-play guy in Sioux Falls. It was only regret was is is the during an intermission and college hockey intermissions are only twelve minutes. So I didn't get to talk to him as long as I wanted to, but he won a million points with me because he brought me a Minnesota Go for Hockey Media Guide, not knowing that I used to collect those things every year and what, not been able to get one in several years. So um, Tanner Hoops may have just became my favorite broadcaster. <laughs> We're liking it. Well, once again, we want to thank Greg Taggart for joining us this week. For Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Paneer. We will see you next time on This Week in the Association.